0: We've been moving through uh, the Bible this year and uh, if you're visiting with us what we've been doing is we've been encouraging everyone in our faith community to take this book the Bible and to take a portion of it and read it and reflect upon it on a daily basis and what I've been doing on the weekends is preaching through the Bible we started in the Old Testament historical books then we moved to the experiential books and we're now we're in the prophetic books and we're actually in the book of Isaiah, we're taking only two weeks to go through the book of Isaiah, which is 66 chapters, but we're only picking a couple of chapters out. Last weekend I talked about Isaiah 6, this weekend we want to look at, uh, really, Isaiah 53, part of 52 and part of 53, and um, the interesting thing about the book of Isaiah, it's been called the Gospel of the Old Testament. The gospel of the Old Testament. Now, you may have heard the word gospel, but maybe you don't know what it means. The word gospel simply means this. It is good news. And in the, in the New Testament times, it was used to, for somebody who was bringing good news, heralding good news. So was there, when there was a battle, somebody would ride and give the news to the king or to the people of what the results of the king, of, of the battle was. And they would herald the good news. They would bring the good news. And that's where we get the idea of gospel. Gospel is just nothing more than bringing good news to people. And so that's really what it is. Now, in the New Testament, the writers looked at the book of Isaiah and actually used the book of Isaiah quite a bit to bring the good news because they saw the good news as referring to Jesus, that Jesus was the good news, that he was the promised Messiah, that he was the anointed one, or as the Greek translates it, the Christ Christ. The anointed One sent from God, the one who is going to save the nation of Israel and more importantly save mankind and so ultimately the good news refers that the New Testament writers saw that referring to Jesus. Let me give you one example, one passage in the book of Acts we have in chapter well let, let me do this first um, some of you feel like, well, religion or my faith is a very private thing and I don't want to share it with anyone else. And I understand that, but I also think that the good news, if it is really good news and if I really believe it's good news, I should want to share it with everyone. I should want to share it with everyone. If, if there's a difference between spending an eternity with God or not, it seems to me that's something that's pretty important that I would want to share with everyone. Now, obviously we can't make people... Decide that they're going to accept the good news. They can reject it, but we at least they know the good news. They've heard the good news. Uh, let me give you um, a perspective from a well-known atheist. This is this is what a well-known atheist said, and I'll tell you who it is afterwards. He said this recently: "I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect them at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell." And people could uh, be going to hell, or not going, not are not getting eternal life, or whatever. And you think that it's not really worth telling them this? Be, telling them this, it would make uh, it would make it socially awkward because it would make it. So- Let me try that again. I'm goofing that up bad. It's a long sentence. He says, "I don't respect that at all. If you believe." that there's a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them about it? That's from an atheist. You've heard of the magic group Penn and Teller? That's uh Penn. Penn That's a quote from Penn Jillette. He basically says, if you believe it, why wouldn't you tell people? Why wouldn't you warn people? I don't respect people who don't proselytize, who don't share the good news. So we want to talk about what is this good news. And the, in the Old Testament, uh, they saw, they, the, the, the believers in the New Testament saw Isaiah 53 in the book of Isaiah as the gospel in the Old Testament. So the uh, book of Isaiah talks about this servant, this servant of the Lord. And there's a couple of what they call servant songs. And it basically just describes this coming servant, who he is or who, whatever he is. And Isaiah 53 is probably one of the most famous parts of the servant, uh, servant songs. And so the question is, and we want to t- deal with this r- r- right at the beginning is, who is the servant of Isaiah 53? Who is it speaking about? Who is it describing? Um, because there's different ideas there. Some say the servant needs to be seen metaphorically or as a symbol. It's it's uh, uh, they say it's a, a symbol. It's a met, used to be metaphorically, not literally. It's not to speak of a real person. But even symbols have a source. Even symbols have a point. So th- the question is, what is the point? Some say, well, it's not describing uh, a person so much. Um, the servant is described as suffering, and. Uh, so they say, well, maybe it's speaking of the nation of Israel, the suffering of the nation of Israel, the suffering of the Jewish people. Um, but, but the point is, well, what's the point of their suffering? If it's pointing to their suffering, what does that have to do with, wh- what's the point of it if, if, the, if, if there's a, a suffering nation? It, it seems like it has to be, mean more than that. Uh, the servant is seen as giving his life. Uh, for whom? He's suffering for a purpose. And so what would it mean if it was the nation of Israel? I think... And many conservative scholars believe that this, this, the uh, five, Isaiah fifty three is speaking about a suffering servant, and we, we know him to be Jesus Christ. And and I think that's the most natural way to see it that that the, Isaiah is speaking of a coming Messiah, an anointed one or Christ. And remember, Jesus was called Jesus Christ, his last name meant was not his, his last, last name. Christ wasn't a last name. It was meaning that he was the Messiah, Jesus Messiah. So they saw him as the, the anointed one, the Messiah. And uh, so now let's jump to the book of Acts in the New Testament. Because one day, this is Acts chapter 8, there's this Ethiopian eunuch, and he's, a, he's a, an official of Ethiopia, and he's traveling. And he's, he's traveling in a carriage, and as he's going in his carriage, he's reading a scroll. They didn't, have bo- they didn't have books like we do. They had scrolls. And he's reading a scroll. And guess what scroll he's reading? He's reading the Isaiah scroll. He's reading Isaiah 53, the, one, the chapter we're going to look at. And so he asks a question to Philip, who's walking beside the carriage. And he says, who is this speaking about? Is, this speaking, is the person that's writing this, is it speaking about them or someone else. So let me read you that passage. This is Acts chapter 8. And, and what I'm trying to show you here is this. How did the New Testament writers interpret or understand Isaiah and who the servant was in Isaiah? How did they understand it? Well, very clearly we know this in uh, Acts chapter 8. The passage of scripture, and this is uh, the, the uh, Ethiopian eunuch as he's reading. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb is silent before its shearers. He did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And then notice what happens here. So beginning with the same, this same scripture, Philip told him the good news. Again, notice the good news about... Jesus and what I want you to see is the the New Testament writers used the book of Isaiah to bring the good news to their world they used passages like the one we're going to look at and this is probably Isaiah 53 is probably one of the best chapters in the Bible to explain the cross the cross and it's probably one of the most sacred chapters in all of the Bible it, so what I want to do is as we move through it, as we read through this passage, we're going to take parts of it and move through it. I want us to take our shoes off because where we're going is holy ground. And so the question is, who is the suffering servant? And so we're going to walk through that. The first thing we see is he was, dif- he was disfigured. And this starts in um, Isaiah 52, verse 13. See, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know that he was a man. And he he will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence. For they will see what they had not been told. They will understand what they had not heard about. One of the challenges of the book of Isaiah is this. That when you come to the book of Isaiah, when you start reading through these servant psalms, specifically this, these, these next two chapters, Isaiah 52 and 53, you have a, a servant who's suffering, but you also have a servant who's exalted, who's lifted up. So you have that in the same text. And that's what we have here. We have, you know, one minute, you, his appearance, he, he, the, the writer's saying, one, one minute the writer's saying, his appearance is so disgusting He's, he's so beaten up, he's so, um, he's so unrecognizable that you'll become sick to your stomach if you were to look at him. But the next you'll be in awe of his beauty and marvel, and marvel at, his one, at his power and, and beauty. Um, here's an example of uh, this. Uh, it says the servant was so disfigured that he would be unrecognizable. His face was a bloody pulp. Uh, it would hardly be human. But he also would, it says, startle the king's. He would. They would stand speechless in His presence. They would see and understand something totally new. They, did, they didn't see it coming. They, they, they are in awe of Him, yet they're disgusted with Him, but they're in awe of Him at the same time, in the same passage. So this is what people have struggled with, what scholars have struggled with. Who is this talking about? What is this talking about? Uh, here's the point. The servant of the Lord was marred beyond human appearance. He was so shattered, he was so scarcely an image of man... But on one day, he will he will startle people with his beauty and power. Um, the point I want you to see is this. If we apply this to Jesus, and I think it's absolutely correct to do that, I think what we see here is that Jesus was so disfigured, he was disfigured so that we, bec- we could become beautiful. He willingly gave up everything for us so that we become, could become beautiful. So he was disfigured. Secondly... He was despised. Notice what it says in Isaiah 53.1. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected of man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him, and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. It's just so what the writer Isaiah is saying now is he's saying, this servant of the Lord, he, he was overlooked. He was physically ordinary. He was nothing to look at. He, he didn't stand out in a crowd. He was, you know, I, I love these pictures they have of Jesus. He's just striking like this, you know, beautiful with flowing hair and all that stuff. And you know the bottom line is Scripture says he was pretty ordinary. He, he wouldn't stand out in a crowd. He was overlooked by many people. In fact, he was overlooked by his own people. He was overlooked by the people from his own hometown. They said, well, he's nothing. He's, he's ordinary. He's, he's, he's just nothing to look at. No, l- let me read you that passage. This is uh, Matthew 13. This is speaking about Jesus. He returned to Nazareth, his hometown. And wh- when, he taught, where he t- when he taught there in the synagogue, everybody was amazed and said, what is this? where does he get this wisdom and power to do miracles they scoffed. he's just a carpenter's son and we know mary his mother and his brothers james joseph simon and judas all of his sisters live right here among us where did he learn these things and they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him see his appearance may have been quite ordinary but when he began to teach they said there's something else going on here there's something heavenly there's something divine there's something beyond our, our our understanding um You know, here's the point. They overlooked his physical appearance, but when he began to speak and he he began to teach, they they, they dismissed him. They said, even though we've never heard teaching like this, we're going to dismiss him anyways. We're going to dismiss him anyways. Their eyes could not penetrate the veil of the ordinariness around him. He was so ordinary that even his teaching, even his words, they said, well, that's interesting, that's different, that's beyond what we've heard before, but we still reject it. And you know what? The same is happening today. There are many people who say, well, Jesus was an amazing teacher. He was an amazing uh, rabbi. But frankly, he's one of many rabbis. He's one of many teachers. He's overlooked. He's dismissed. Uh, The point is, the servant of the Lord, he was ordinary in appearance, in physical appearance. uh, And yet he was incredible in teaching. But he was still despised and rejected. He was despised and rejected so that you could be cherished. Jesus was despised and rejected so you could be cherished. And he was destroyed. Go on to verse uh, 4 of chapter 53. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep has strayed away. We have, left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. The, sin, the The servant of the Lord here, Isaiah, saying he was not punished for his sins because he had done nothing wrong. He was punished for the sins of others. He took the sins of others, and so uh, it says the Lord had laid on him. The sins of us all. The Bible says we all are like sheep. We've gone astray. We've gone our own way. And yet the Lord laid on him our iniquities, our sins. We are the ones who carry the guilt. We are the ones who have left God's path and gone our own way. We are the prodigals. And yet here's the amazing truth. The servant, the servant of the Lord didn't have to die. God doesn't have to die. the, the, The whole definition of God is that he has no beginning and no end. There is no death with God. There is no dying with God. But yet the Son of Man willingly gave his life for us. He who didn't have to die chose to die. He who is innocent took our sin. And and that's what he's saying here. He's saying that there was a substitute for us. There was somebody who took our place. There was somebody who gave himself. And we think that that was Jesus when he died and gave his life on the cross. Jesus, in his own words, said, this was the reason why I came. It wasn't to be a great teacher. It wasn't to heal everybody. It was for one purpose. And what does he say it is? The Son of Man uh, came, and this is a phrase that Jesus used often of himself. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. He gave his life for you. See, the servant of the Lord was punished for the sins of others. He didn't have to die, but he chose to die. Isaiah 53.10 says, When he sees all that he has accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. That's an amazing verse. And what I want you to see is, and John tells us in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, they know me. Uh, just as my Father knows me and I know my Father. And he says, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. And then he says it later on. He says, the Father loves me because I sacrifice my love so that I may take it back. No one takes it from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. I give my life voluntarily. Do you remember the story of Jesus when he was in the garden and it was dark and his friends were off, Uh, the disciples were back off and he began to sweat? It said, drops like blood he was overwhelmed he was he was destroyed he was amazed he was just broken and what he's doing here is he's peering in to what is coming the storm that is coming he under, it's not the physical it's it's understanding not only that he is going to take the weight of all the sin of the world upon himself but he is going to take the separation from the father and from the, 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 the spirit. That there, there, there's going to be a separation. That he's going to be all alone. That he's going to suffer eternal uh, suffering and pain and torment. He's going to suffer that. And he looks in and he sees that. And he says, even though this is going to be horrible, I still choose to do it. Now, it's an amazing phrase when in Isaiah 53:10 it says, when he sees all that he has accomplished by his anguish he will be satisfied. What I want you to see here is this. What he's saying, what Isaiah is saying, when Jesus looks at all that would be accomplished by his giving himself on the cross for us and taking the weight of sin and the punishment that goes with it and the separation that goes with it, and the injustice that goes with it. When he looked at all of that and he saw you, he saw what it would mean to you that instead of spending eternity apart, you would spend eternity with him, that your sins would be forgiven, that you would become adopted as children of of God, that your lives would be changed. When he saw that, he said it was worth it. (laughs) Can you imagine that? (laughs) Basically, he's saying this. He lost everything for us. He gave his life for us. But when he looks at you and me, he says, it was worth it. Wrap your brain around that for a moment. The God of the universe gets off of his throne, comes to earth, is abused, tormented, tortured, and executed, and ultimately is able to see before what he's going to have to experience and experiences it for us. And he looks back and he says, it was worth it. It was worth it. You see, every one of us must know that we are loved, significant, and valued. And we have the God of the universe who got off of his throne and climbed up on a cross and said, it was worth it. It was worth it. You see, what I'm trying to show you is this. When you begin to reflect on what the writer, what Isaiah is saying in Isaiah 53, and you begin to see what he went through for us. And you, you, it begins to break your heart. It begins to melt your heart. Because you realize he didn't have to die. It wasn't his sin. It was our sin. It wasn't, my, it wasn't his failure. It was my failure. And he, but yet, he, he, he gave his life. He suffered. He went through a beating that just made him unrecognizable. He, he went through separation and injustice for us. And it should melt your heart. It should break your heart but it should also lift your heart because when he looks at you, he says, it was worth it. I love you so much that it's worth it to me. You're valued that much. So you don't have any reason to compare yourself with others and say, I'm better. I'm more righteous. I go to church more. I give more. I do more. (laughs) So what? What? It's not, that's not even in the conversation. That has nothing to do with the conversation. The conversation isn't about what you're doing or what you've done or how you compare. It's what he has already done. Goes on to say that he was despised Isaiah 53 verse seven. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. Was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before his shearers, he did not open his mouth. Does that sound familiar? That was the passage the Ethiopian eunuch was reading that day. And the Ethiopian eunuch says, Who's this talking about? And the Ethiopian eunuch says, I need to tell you about Jesus, the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah who came. And let me tell you what they did with him. Let me tell you how he died. He died. It says, unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in the mainstream. But he was struck down, notice, for the rebellion of my people. Again, we see him suffering not for his own deeds, not for his own misdeeds, for the deeds of his people, for the misdeeds of his people. See, the, the, clear, the clear thing that's coming through in Isaiah 53 is that there is somebody who's dying in the place of others, for others, because of others. The servant of the Lord was desert, deserted. He found no supporters. He found no justice. There was no one to plead his case. He was a victim of injustice. He suffered internal rejection and injustice so that we could be embraced and forgiven. He was deserted and oppressed so that you could be embraced. Now, you may say, well, why, couldn't, why can't God just forgive sin? I mean, come on. Did Jesus have to come to earth? Did you have to die on a cross? Why, why couldn't God just forgive it? Well, let me give you an illustration. If uh, you and I were riding in your brand new car and you're, um, you're driving and you're not paying too much attention, but you're paying close enough attention, but somebody just rams into the back of your brand new car. Just does a whole bunch of damage. You might be a little upset, right? You say, "Well, I was." They said, "Tell you, well, I was texting. I really wasn't paying attention." Well, that make make you a little more upset, right? Um, even though you probably text anyways and you do it, but yeah, you're better at that. You know, they know the whole argument. But um, so you get out and I get out and we look at the damage. All so, oh, this is bad. So I, your passenger, who does I don't have a dog in this race. It's not my car. You're just my friend, and I can find other friends with better cars. But I say, the person gets out, and they say, oh, I'm so sorry. And I get out, and I say, well, that's all right. Don't worry about it. He'll take care of it. Wait a minute. I don't have any right to, to tell. It's not, I, I've, it, I'm not the one that's been offended the one who's been offended is god and sin has to be paid for there is a price and there is only one way that the price could be paid that god had to, it wasn't because man did good, did enough good stuff so that god says okay you've paid the price no it was because god came to earth in the form of jesus and he gave his life he took our place he suffered for us he was our substitution and The price was paid because Jesus chose to do it willingly. And that's the last part of this uh, passage. He's our substitute, Isaiah 53, 9. He had done no wrong, and he had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made... An offering for sin, he will have many descendants, he will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that he has accomplished, notice, when he sees all that he has accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. Now, did Jesus see himself in Isaiah 53? (laughs) I mean, that's a a valid question. Did Jesus see himself? Because some say, well, Jesus kind of really didn't know he was the Messiah. He just kind of came to... No, you know, in Luke, if you look at chapter 22 of 37, basically, Jesus at the Lord's table basically says this He says, He was counted among the rebels. He uses that phrase. He is telling his disciples at the end of the meal, I am fulfilling this passage in Isaiah 53. I'm about to fulfill that. Uh, I am. I will be the suffering servant for you. And he's saying, because of me, because of what I'm going to do, many will be counted righteous. I will bear the sins. I will bear all their sins. And here's the point. The amazing thing is that Christ wins our salvation by losing his life. The the servant of the Lord becomes a substitute and a sacrifice for all who call upon Him. Only, and, and here's here's the thing I really want you to hear. If you hear nothing else, every one of us has a deep desire to be secure, to be satisfied, and to feel like our life means something, significance in our life. And there's only one person that can give that to you. And it's God, your Creator. It's Jesus, the one who gave Himself for you. If you you say, well, how do I know that He, he cares for me? Well, look to the cross. If he gave his life for you it seems as though he cares for you he loves you how do i know that he can save me well that's why he came to save you (laughs) to keep you secure and to give you new life see only jesus can satisfy god by suffering for us we need a substitute we need somebody to take the penalty for our sins but there's a price that must be paid and you can't pay it um what is the gospel? We began with the gospel. Let's end with the gospel. The gospel is, and I've said this before, it's, two, it's a two-sided coin. And Isaiah 53 has both sides in there. And here's the two sides. You have to come to a point where you're humbled to the point that you're down in the dust. That you say, I'm lost, I'm helpless, I'm hopeless. I, I need somebody to rescue me. If you ne- and men, fathers... That's a hard place to be. But you know what? And if you never get to that place, if you never know that you need help, you'll never ask for help. You'll never call for help. You'll never seek a Savior. And I just want to say to you, until you get to the point where you're, you're humbled into the point of dust, and you realize that he had to die for you, that you, your good deeds, your, Isaiah says your good deeds are like filthy rags. Isaiah says, you've strayed away. You've gone your own way. Isaiah says all of that. And he says then, but there is one who hasn't strayed. There is one whose deeds are great. There's one who substituted took your place. And until you come to a place where you know and understand that you are a sinner, that you're lost. And that's one side of the gospel. The other side is, you come to the point where you're taken to the sky Your heart is lifted, your soul is lifted, your life is lifted, because you know there's a God out there that loves you so much that he got off the throne and came to earth and died for you. So two sides of the gospel is I'm lost, I'm helpless, I'm hopeless, I need a savior, I'm a sinner. But the other side is I'm loved, I'm forgiven, I'm adopted, I'm a son, I'm a daughter, because Jesus loved me. See, That's what the cross, that's what the gospel is all about. God is holy, but he's also loving at the same time. Only the gospel will melt your heart. It is incredibly good news. And I just want to close with this thought. I think that there's so many people in this community that have heard the word gospel and they don't understand it. They think, oh, that's just something that is said in the church. I think it's something that we, we read, gospel readings, it's gospel books. What is the gospel? It is good news. It tells us that we're lost, we're helpless and hopeless. But the good news is there's a Savior that came and gave his life. And he said on the cross it is finished. But it also says you're loved, you're forgiven, you're adopted because you're now his son, you're now his daughter. When you call upon him, everything changes. So the gospel is a two-sided coin. It's a a message of great news. It tells us that, that what we're desperately seeking and needing within us can only come from the one who came to earth to deliver us, to fill us, to direct us. Isaiah says there's a suffering servant that came who was brutalized and beaten and and for you. But one day he will lift it up. One day everyone will be stunned by his beauty and power and amazed by him. That day is coming. So where are you at? Where are you at? There's a lot of good people out there. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who said... understand the gospel that until i come to the point of knowing that i'm lost calling upon the lord and being forgiven and knowing that i'm loved that melts my heart that breaks my heart that shows me that there's more to life than any other pursuit my best pursuit is to say jesus i give you my life because you gave your life for me and when we do that we become different people There's a change within us. And there's life that lasts forever. That's the good news. Isaiah 53 points us to Jesus. So the question I close with is, do you know Jesus? Have you called upon him? The Bible says in the New Testament, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus said to Nicodemus, a very rich, uh, very uh, uh, educated man, he says, you must be born again. There needs to be a spiritual birth in your life. Have you had that? If you're not sure, we'd love to talk to you about it, show you from Scripture how you can be born again, how you can have your sins forgiven today and know that heaven is a promise. Jesus says, I'm going to go away, but where I go, there you will be also, and I'll go prepare a place, and I'll come back and get you. That's the promise we have from Scripture. But it's not to everyone. I mean, if you're trying to make your way to heaven, you're going to hear Jesus say, depart from me, I never knew you. We've heard the word gospel. Has it penetrated our hearts? Has it broken our hearts? Have we heard it? Is it changing our lives? And those of you who have called upon the Lord, will you step out of your comfort zone and warn people and share the good news? There's a lot of people that need to hear it. They can make their own decision, but how will they hear if no one ever tells them? Let's pray. Help us, Father, because without uh, your word, we have really no direction. And thank you for Isaiah 53, this holy passage that speaks of a suffering servant who uh, became a substitute for us, for Jesus who gave himself and willingly went to the cross. Thank you, Father, that the cross, the gospel shows us two things. We are sinners but we are loved. You are holy, but you are loving. And thank you, Father, that Jesus is the only one who can bridge the gap between you and us. He is the only one that can give us new hearts, new lives. He is the only one who could suffer and die and rise for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.